broadcasting to you from our remote Pittsburgh studios, north of the steel city of Pittsburgh, PA. We bring to you today number, episode number 58 of our podcast, Steel City Sports Talk. My name is Alex Brown. And I'm Ryan Berry. And together, we are your hosts for this podcast. And Ryan, let's jump right into it. It's playoff time for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yes, it is, Alex. So 1-1 series, and overall, that's exactly where you want to be. But let's hop right in and look at Game 1. It was a 4-3, three-overtime win for the Penguins. They all got started off by the Rangers, though. Adam Fox putting one past, I almost said Louis Domingue, Casey DeSmith in Game 1. And that was a power play going. Anytime you're on a, you give the Rangers a power play opportunity, you're liable to get scored on because that power play has just been absolutely lethal throughout the entire year. Chris Kreider, mainly the goal scorer on that power play, and he figured in on an assist on that goal. And the second period started with the Rangers as well, Ron. Andrew Kopp got this second goal of the game, and that was just three minutes into the period. Yeah, it was. The Penguins fired back on the stick of Jake Gensel and Sidney Crosby. That connection has been lethal so far in the playoffs. Jake Gensel, uh, his first goal came at fourth minutes and 32 seconds into the second period, which is only about a minute and 20 seconds after uh, Cop's goal. And then yeah. Gensel found one off of a beautiful backhand slip pass by Sidney Crosby past the Rangers defenseman, and Gensel did not look back. He took that one in the net and fired it past Igor Shesterkin. The Rangers then fought back again. Chris Kreider, 3-2, a shorthanded goal. And that really was a disappointing goal because the Penguins had been dominating up to that point. The second period was all Pittsburgh. But Chris Kreider gets that shorthanded goal, and then and then they just keep going. And Brian Rust, the rusty razor, converts just a minute 23 after the Chris Kreider shorthanded goal as they converted on that. I, was, I believe it was probably that very same power player, was it not? I think it was the very it was same, it was that very same power play, but it was actually I think a five on three at that point. Five, very same power play, and he puts it past goaltender Shesterkin with the assist from Evgeny Malkin, who went on to win the game in the third, not the second, not the first, but the third overtime of this game. Uh, as it as this game started at seven o'clock, went to eleven forty eight, and he ended it off of the stick of John Marino, who shot the puck. Malkin deflected it in. And Alex, this game, uh, the Rangers really only won one period. If the if Igor Shesterkin had not played as well as he had, the Penguins, I think, win this game by three goals. Uh, maybe 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 two, but I think definitely by uh, more than one goals. I mean, the Penguins dominated after that first period, and I think the Rangers tired themselves out. The first period, the Rangers dominated the Penguins, and you're like, oh, geez, this is going to be a long postseason and we might get swept because the Rangers they just came they they were the more physical team they were the faster team they hit everything that moved and you thought oh geez this could be bad but I think in doing that the Rangers actually tired themselves out they just didn't look as fast and they weren't as physical the rest of the game and I think the Penguins if they could beat Igor in that game more they could have won that game by three goals but Igor stood tall having 79 saves on 83 shots for the Penguins, but it still wasn't enough for the Rangers. And if I'm Igor, I'm heading back to the locker room. Come on, guys. I had 79 saves. You guys can't help me out a little bit. Well, what do you want from me? 79 saves? You can't score another goal? Uh, and they had a lot of time to do it. Every single player on every team had at least one shot. That shows you how long of a game that was. And the Pens had their record for shots in a period during the playoffs in that second period. Um I think it was 25 in that period, but that, just remarkable the amount of 
opportunities the Pens had. As you said, they had the legs in the third period on over the Rangers. They had the legs, and they were able to keep on going. And how about the video review guy for the Pittsburgh Penguins? Is he not perfect or what in that third period? At first, I was like, why are we challenging here? I mean, we're not going to get it. And then we'll go on the penalty kill, and then it's pretty much the death sentence for the rest of the game. Then that referee comes back out. It's like goalie interference. I was, I was, I didn't know if it was goalie interference, but rewatching it again, it could have been because it looked like he was in the goalie's crease heading to the goaltender before Dumoulin gave him a little push. So I think he didn't, he, I guess, not initiated, maybe a little bit initiating, but he definitely started the path to head to the goalie before Dumoulin started. Yes. Before Dumoulin uh, get contacted a little bit. Absolutely. And I think when he has that path going towards the crease, I think that's the I think they regard that as his intent to to interfere with the goaltender. Um and it looked like I don't know it's his path, I don't know where he had he could have gone otherwise, but towards that part of the net. Hey, we'll take it. We'll take it. Yeah. But uh Absolutely. the biggest storyline from the game, Casey DeSmith leaves the game. Late in the second period, and none other than Louis Domingue steps in for the Penguins. Has what is it, 17 saves in a, around 20 minutes of play? And he was he was perfect, and he needed to be. And I think it really helped out. The Rangers gave him some muffins early, build the confidence a little bit. I mean, when you're sitting on the bench all alone, not even on the bench, uh, by the, the runway all alone for what five four and a half periods i mean you're gonna have so cold you're not gonna be ready and he actually said after the game he didn't even realize he had to go in until the referees came over and said you have to come in you have to come in he was like what what and then he realized that the smith had to leave he came in i mean that's tough coming in in a regular like any period as a goalie back in a backup and he had to come in in double overtime uh, about halfway through in his first ever playoff appearance in a 3-3 game it's incredible uh the storyline from this game, Alex, and a lot of props to Louis Domingue. I mean, he was a big factor in this win. And he actually ended up getting the W uh, as the goaltender. Yeah, that's right. And uh, first playoff win. But the only reason he's warm, Ryan, is because he's still digesting that spicy pork. That's the only reason oh, yeah. he was warm going into the game. That, that was but was- if, if you don't know what Alex is talking about, after the game uh, – he was being interviewed, and he said they asked him like, well, "How do you fill up? How do you eat?" And he said he had quite a meal in between the first and the second overtimes, and and then the reporter, I forget her name, asked what it was. He goes, "Oh, spicy pork and broccoli." And then he finished with, "Not good." He didn't. He didn't like it too good. Oh, like and by the way, uh, Nakama is serving spicy pork and broccoli at the Penguins playoff game tonight. Really? Yep. They're, they're going to call it the King Louis, uh, King Louis special. Something like that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, but do you think Sidney Crosby's going to like, like, he's the most superstitious guy, maybe in all of sports. Do you think he's going to make him try to get some or deliver some to him before the game tonight? You, you never know. I mean, Sid will try anything that works because he knows this, this could be the last chance with the core group of guys, and he's willing to do anything. Even that means a very weird request of having Louis Domingue eat spicy pork and broccoli before the game, which. Might not digest well, but we'll see. <laughs> we, yeah, I know. That doesn't sound too good. <laughs> but, no, well, it doesn't. Not for a hockey game. But, um, Ryan, when you have – you play hockey and you play the minutes that these guys are playing in this game over over the course of – what would it be? Four – that would be five, five and a half periods. And Chris Letang played 46 minutes in 41 seconds as a 35-year-old. Like, what does that do to the legs and the body? 
it definitely is not good. I mean, he he looked okay in the second playoff game, but he probably has the best conditioning out of anybody in the NHL. I mean, he plays more than almost any defenseman. Uh, I think he's used to it. And obviously, you're going to be tired from that. But I think the Rangers might have been more tired, uh, but they still got to win in Game 2. Let's move on to Game 2 now. It was a 5-2 loss for the Penguins. But I think the Penguins pretty much played them even, especially 5-1-5. It came down to not being able to beat Igor and not converting on power plays and giving up uh, the special teams' goals. Absolutely. And I think I do think legs were something of a factor. I think the Pens were, as you said, I think they were okay for most of the game. But they definitely had some struggles, and they were sloppy in the defensive zone in particular. And when you have Louis Domingue back there for an entire game, you not only do you have to play sound defense, but you have to outshoot and you have to probably outscoring chance, get quality scoring chances um, more than the Rangers by probably about at least five, at least five more shots per um, I would say not not per period, but you're looking at at least five more shots throughout the course of the game. Uh, you'd hope at least ten, especially after Shostakovich makes 79 saves the game before, and they just couldn't get enough shots. I think to really put a dent in Igor Shostakovich, and not enough quality chances on Igor Shostakovich, because you have to have more quality chances than the Rangers when you have Louis Domingue in net. Yeah, Andrew Cobb started off the scoring, but then yeah. Jake Kettle's Johnny on the spot. Two minutes later. Ties it up one to one on assists from you know who, Sidney Crosby. Then the Rangers they start the second period strong. Ryan Strom on the power play. Uh, then Chris Kreider has goal. Sidney Crosby though with a minute and twenty six seconds left in the second period goes through the entire Rangers team. Then <laughs> hands it off or maybe loses it to Brian Russ. Brian Russ takes a shot. Sidney Crosby somehow corrals that puck, gets a shot on end, scores. That might have been the best goal of the playoffs, Alex. It has to be. That's the, one of the best individual efforts that you can see for a goal in the NHL, not let alone this year, but that you'll ever see. And Sidney Crosby corrals that puck. I think it was with one hand. He's trying to get around guys with like one hand on his stick, gets it, gets two hands on the stick, and then he puts it in. Just remarkable. And I don't want to blame this game on Lou Domingue, but when the, your opposing goaltender uh, makes 39 saves, and you face the same, pretty much the same amount of shots and Lennon, five goals. I know you're a rookie guy, but sometimes you have to step up. And he needs help, too. He needs help from his defenseman. The defense defense, especially Matson, did not have a great game. But I think he still I still needs to be a little bit better for the Penguins to have a shot in the playoffs. And I don't know how much better he can really get. I mean, he's a minor league guy. Uh, I, p- fans do have faith in him. He's had some great moments, like that save in the first period where he robbed, uh, was it was it Zibanejad or Panarin? I mean, that was incredible. He has, he has the ability. He just has to be more consistent. He has to get help from his defenseman. You can't be lining up 40 shots a game with a third-string goalie in that. And I th- a lot of that has to do with Dumlin being out and uh, Matheson having a bad game. The Penguins' de- defense just didn't have a great game as a whole. I like how Marino's playing, but other than that, I don't really like how the Penguins' defense have been playing. I mean, I like Mark Friedman, but if, you're gonna, if he's going to be on the team and you're going to put him in that situation with Dumlin out, he's got to play more than 12 minutes. He played 11 minutes and 55 seconds. And you have guys like Latang who just played 46 minutes the game, the game before. You can't put him out there for another couple shifts to give Latang a break or Matheson a break. Matheson played over 40 minutes against um, against the Rangers too. you got, you got to be able to spread out these minutes, especially in that second game when you're so close to playing that first game just two nights earlier. And I think you got to play Freeman more than that if you want to have your defenseman um, have some 
fresh, fresher legs. Definitely, I agree with you there. Uh, the shots were 41-40 in favor of the Penguins. Pens were unable to crack Igor, and after unable to crack Igor, uh, they only scored six goals on 124 shots so far in the postseason. That's great. Something has got to give. The Penguins have to find a way to get the puck past Igor. I thought maybe spraying them with shots was the was the play, and it might still be. The Penguins need to find the key, and I think maybe the best way to do that is on the power play. The Penguins have not picked great in the power play in the postseason, and, but if you could get Igor moving, like Brian Russ's goal, in the first game, that tap in from uh, Evgeny Malkin. You got to get him moving side to side. You got to find those open holes. And you could do that easily on the power play. The Penguins need to find a way to beat Igor in the power play is the key, especially when you know the Rangers are going to take penalties. You know you're going to get in the power play. You got to be able to convert. I totally agree with that. And I think you got to establish zone time in order, when you get in these opportunities because when you get that traffic in front of the net, you saw in that Malkin goal. You get that traffic in front of the net, then that, that makes it a lot harder for the goaltender. If you can get some deflections, if you can get some rebound opportunities right in front of the net, that's all the merrier. And I think if that happens, the Pens are going to be in a better position not only get more quality opportunities, but to get more goals. And that's exactly what they're going to have to do to win these games, obviously. But they're going to have to um, they're going to have to score. Um, I'd say at least four goals in the rest of these games if they're going to win these games. Because I don't think you can expect the Ming to give up like less than three. Some storylines heading into Game 3 and Game 4. Casey DeSmith is out for the remainder of the postseason after undergoing surgery. Jason Zucker remains close to return, unsure if he will be able to go in Game 3. Ricard Raquel is practicing a little bit. He may be good to go for Game 3 or Game 4. Tristan Jari skated for the first time uh, on uh, May 7th, so today May 7th on Saturday. Uh, Fairly confident he won't be appearing in the next two games, though. Brian Dublin, we are unsure. Uh, Sullivan said he's day-to-day, but Sullivan called Casey DeSmith day-to-day before he had surgery. Uh, so uh, we don't – Sullivan doesn't give much uh, – doesn't show his hand very often. So injuries, we don't really know how close these guys are. The most we can go off of is seeing them in practice. And we know that Raquel was practicing. We know that Zucker was practicing. We know that Jari was skating. Uh, do we know if Dublin practiced? Uh, they were having an optional morning skate this morning. I think that's going on right about now. I'm not sure if Dublin is out there. So I'll try to find. Uh, he, he's much needed. Uh, he heard on the. Uh, he heard us not being there on the penalty kill a lot, Alex. And what are you looking for in Game Three or Game Four from the Penguins? What are you hoping the plan is to limit the n- amount of Rangers shots? Do you try to slow the game down a little bit? I I think you do. I think you try to. I think you try to really play your game and do almost this. But this is not the Pens game as much. But I think you got to trap the Rangers. I think you got to put in a trap defensively because you have to especially now not only with Dumoulin out but with having a third string goalie in net you need to limit the shots on goal and I think you do that by putting a trap on D I don't know how they do that if whether it's like a, they're doing like a a 1-3-1 or they're doing something differently to really limit them in the neutral zone like the old Devils or the 2017 um, Senators you got to really be able to limit the chances that the pe- that um, the Pens are giving up and I think Mike Matheson, if the Pens are going to win this game, Mike Matheson has to have a strong game. He was on the ice for four Rangers goals on on um, Thursday, and he's got to be better. I know he is better. And he, he, if he skates in the offensive zone like he can, 
or skate through the defensive zone, through the neutral zone, into the offensive zone, like a new Paul Coffey with the way he skates, the Pens are going to be in a great position to win this game because when he has the puck on his stick, he's dangerous. He does, he is, and I agree with that. He definitely needs to bring more. He needs to be more solid defensively, and he needs to help uh, Louis Doming out. Now, Alex, let's move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll talk about the draft and their schedule release, so we'll discuss both those things. And we may talk a little bit about the Pitt players that were drafted or signed uh, for the draft. Let's get started. Round one. This may have been my favorite draft call of all time, Alex. Uh, he actually was not the guy I wanted originally when, the, when we went into the night. I like Tra- Traylon Burks from uh, Arkansas, the wide receiver, and I like Jordan Davis, the defensive lineman from Georgia. Both of them were gone, so I'm like, it's Kenny or maybe an offensive lineman. But I did not want Malik Willis. I did not want Malik Willis to be drafted, and a lot of general managers agreed with that as he fell all the way to the third round. But when... Franco Harris. Yeah, I forgot his name for a second. Franco Harris comes out and announced that pick. You knew it was going to be Kenny. Uh, he was excited. He said, I love this one. And he started saying that Mr. Steelers select Kenny Pickett. And everybody in the city went crazy, Alex. I think that's what Franco Harris is going to be known for more in his career than um, the Immaculate Reception. No. The Pittsburgh Come on. Steelers select Kenny Pickett, it's one of the, uh, he was good in that call. He really was. But Franco Harris, uh, he's been around forever. And uh, that, that what a great moment that is. And for him to continue to be a part of the organization is great. Obviously, he's not, the immaculate reception is iconic. And I'll never be remembered more than the pick of Kenny Pickett. But, uh, I, I mean, I'll never be remembered less than the pick of Kenny Pickett, obviously. But uh, that was a great pick. And hopefully this, this works out well for the Steelers. Because they got their guy. They, they know him. They know him well. And Kenny and Kevin Colbert said in his um, last first round pick as the uh, as the Steelers general manager, this was an easy one. Yeah, and for fans questioning it, the fans like, "Who wanted Willis? Do you not trust Colbert? Do you not trust Tomlin? They were able to watch him every day for the past five years. I mean, they could see everything that he did. They were able to study him. They were able to talk to him whenever they wanted." The steel, uh, Kevin Colbert and Tomlin wanted them so bad that a report came out that they actually tried to trade up the pick 15 so they were able to get him. Colbert said he never thought they'd be able to fall to us, but they got him. They got their man, and seeing Tomlin, how ecstatic and excited he was as he ran to that phone, he's telling people to move out of the way, and he's saying, all right, all right, all right, when he goes to that phone. That shows me he likes the pick. He's happy with the pick, and he has a lot of faith in Kenny. Kenny will be able to compete for the starting job on day one. It's between Mitch and Kenny right now. I don't see Rudolph having much of a shot. I expect him to be traded before the season starts. And you could probably get something decent for him. You could probably get a fifth or sixth round pick for him, I would think. Because um, he's, he's started some games. He's been okay in some games. He's been, I mean, he's not going to be a starter in the NFL on a good team, obviously. But um, I think I absolutely agree with you. And I think. I, I think that's exactly the pick um, that the Steelers fans wanted in the next, either this year or next year. They wanted a guy that's going to be that guy that could carry the franchise into the future, hopefully for the next 10 plus years and um, maybe 15. And uh, Kenny's mature, he's older, he's experienced, and he, um, he's got the right attitude that you want as a Pittsburgh Steeler. And in round two, it went from Pickett to Pickens, the wide receiver from Georgia, Alex, who probably would have been a first-round pick if he did not have uh, that injury problems throughout his final year at Georgia. But 
I like this pick. I really think he's a bit. He's six three. He's skinnier, but he has an attitude about him. He can go up and get balls, and I think he'll be good to replace Juju. Uh, and I really like this pick. I'd rather have Pickens on Juju at this point. I would rather him as well. Uh, Juju, is there, I think they're going to be very similar as the time goes on. Pickens seems to he, he seems like a fun guy to be around based on all you see on Twitter, all these videos, he pictures he posts. He seems like a fun guy, and he's he's a heck of an athlete. He's, I think he's 6'3", 190 something. He's a he's a skinny dude, but he's a heck of an athlete. And he can run and he's lanky and he has those attributes that you want in a Pittsburgh Steeler. And because you think of the, I say this, I mean that seems cliche, obviously, but when you think of Steeler wide receivers and you think of those guys that can go deep, those Big Ben type of wide receivers that he loved, that Martavis Bryant type that you would be able to send downfield. And you could throw up a ball and trust your wide receiver to catch it. He's that type of guy. He's big. He's a huge target in that field. He's going to be a great option for Kenny Pickett, Mitchell Trubisky, who's ever the week one starter. And I think it'll be Trubisky, actually. But um, I think he's a great option for the Steelers over the next five years. Again, I trust Colbert and Tomlin. They've been great at drafting wide receivers. They drafted Juju. They drafted Claypool. They've they've been fantastic at wide receivers. I think they had another home run here. But we will see. Round three, DeMarvin Leal, defensive at Texas A&M. He's powerful. Eight and a half sacks in his final year with Texas A&M. What do you make of the pick, Alex? I think it was a necessary thing for the Steelers to do, and I think he fell on the draft boards of a lot of the experts. Um, but Experts, experts, they don't know what they're talking about this draft half the time. But uh, it's, I think it's a good pick for the Steelers in terms of it fulfills that need. That was needed. Who knows if Stefan Tuit's coming back? You got Tyson Alualu, who's under on the books for another season. Um, but after that, you're going to need somebody else. Cam Hayward can't carry the load himself entirely. And Texas A&M's known for their defensive prospects. You got those SEC schools that are so good with the defensive um, players. And um, I think he's going to be a great addition to that line. He's big. He's physical. Um, I don't know if he's as great on the run stopping. I heard that about him. That he's not as great of a run stopper. Um, but he's, he's a great pass rusher. And in with the quarterbacks that are going to be in the AFC North, you need somebody that's good at pass rushing in particular. Yeah, I didn't know much about him when the Steelers drafted him, so I, I looked up online and read a report from Keith Sanchez. He said he has a great first step that helps him be able to get through gaps and get to the QB fast, but he's also inconsistent at that and sometimes lacks the pass rush needed, uh, and he gets stalled at the off, at the offensive line. He said he needs to develop, but he definitely could start for the Steelers, and he possesses rare, rare athleticism uh, in something. He thinks it's a good pick, and he thinks the Steelers uh, can definitely build something out of him because of how athletic he is, and he really thinks they can get his pass rush to where it needs to be. And I know we'll make another note. I know we're in the Steelers right now, but note in the Penguins practice, um, the only people that were participating in the optional morning skate this morning were Malkin, Carter, Drew O'Connor, Chad Ruedel, Marcus Pedersen, Mark Friedman, uh, Bellevue, and Diorio. Um, so that's it. And Raquel was on this morning too. But that's that's it for the Pens. Uh, they're participating in the optional morning skate. So I do not anticipate Dumoulin being a part of tonight's game. But back to the Steelers. Back to the Steelers. Fourth round, they got Calvin Austin from uh, Memphis. What do you think about that pick? I like it, Alex. Speed, speed, speed. I'm as excited as you can be about a fourth-round pick. He ran a 4.30 at Combine. But reports, I've seen reports on like uh, articles I've read that the clock should have stopped a lot a little bit earlier, and he was around four seconds to four 
0.15 seconds. So he is fast. He has been great at jet sweeps at Memphis. And if you remember, Canada loved jet sweeps when he was at Pitt with Kaudry Henderson. And so I could see them using Calvin Austin in this way. And I really think it's a good pick. I think he will be able to return punts, return kicks. I mean, he'll be a lot better than Ray Ray McLeod in that regard. I love this pick, Alex. And uh, I I just think this is my second favorite pick so far in the draft that we've gone over. And he really reminds me of an Elijah Moore type that was drafted by the Jets just a year ago. And Elijah Moore was great in his first year, and he was he was hurt a little bit, but he was really good when he was in the lineup for the Jets. And a Jets team that is struggling, obviously, with a rookie quarterback. But I think he's going to be that kind of a guy that you can really put in there in that slot. He's a fast, speedy wide receiver that's going to get you those quick bursts that hopefully that explosive um, – uh, they, those explosive bursts that you're looking for, and they can get that needed separation off the line of scrimmage, so you can get the, some immediate pass plays. Because um, when you have a rookie quarterback, when you have an offensive line that's new, um, and you have a, even if Kenny doesn't start, you have a new quarterback, just a new quarterback in um, Trubisky. If he's starting, uh, you need that those guys that can get you that quick target. And I think Kelvin Austin's going to be that guy, and I'm excited for it to see what he's going to bring to the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's going to be good. And in the sixth round, who do we take, Alex? Connor Hayward, ladies and gentlemen. Connor Hayward, that was a surprise I, for, for a lot of people. Obviously, it wasn't. You, you got to take him if he's there. Um, but Connor Hayward, that running back, tight end, extraordinary. He's going to be a special teams guy as well in particular. But um, I think he'll fit okay throughout the lineup. He's a good player. He's a he, Obviously, he's Cam Hayward's brother. He's physical. He's a big boy. And uh, it's going to be good to have him around the locker room. Keeps Cam happy. Keeps Connor happy. It's a good, happy marriage with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So this pick will confuse me a little bit. I thought it was maybe a little bit of a reach for a fullback slash tight end. Uh, I think he could have maybe even gone him as an undrafted free agent, maybe get him in the seventh round. Uh, but it's a feel-good story. Uh, it is. Uh, he's athletic. He had a big catch against Pitt in the Peach Bowl. He's athletic. He can make plays. He's not great after the catch, but he's a good blocker. Uh, I don't know. Something about it just, I feel like there could have been uh, another need from this pick, an offensive lineman maybe. Uh, But now if you get him, if you get Connor Hayward, there's no need for Derek Watt. You're paying him so much. I know he's TJ Watt's brother, but he could free up a lot of uh, space to be able to sign somebody else. I like the pick a little bit. I don't so, some parts of it. I just don't get. I do think it's a bit of a reach, but I think when you have, I think that that was their. Um, I think they had to sign him in a way. I know you have four sets of brothers on the team, and that puts you in a tough position in terms of if you, you're not. It's tough to be impartial, as you said with Derek Watt. You don't need Derek Watt anymore, but you're not going to get. You're rid- paying him a lot too, but they're not going to get rid of him. With TJ Watt on the roster, I think I, the only way he would leave is if he signed somewhere else himself. Um, and I think that's what they're going to have to do when his contract expired. But there's no reason to pay him a million bucks because what, what's he doing? He's a special. I know, this is a business. It's not a charity. You just don't hand out contracts to guys because right. they have brothers. Derek Watt, he was fine last year. Now that you draft another fullback slash ten end, is there a need for him? He wasn't used very much as a fullback anyway. Connor Hayward could do better than he did at special teams. Connor Hayward is probably a better player than Derek Watt is. There's nothing against Derek Watt. I liked his, him being on the team last year, but now we draft another fullback. Do we need him? And I say no. 
I, I I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. That's a good. That's an excellent point to to bring up there. Um, and I think uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see where they slot Connor Hayward in because he's a big guy. As you say, as you, you just talked about, Matt Canada's offense being a very mobile offense. Connor Hayward isn't necessarily a mobile kind of a guy. He's he's a bigger guy. It takes a little bit to get him moving, but um, we'll see where they put him. I think he can be used a little bit as a fullback, like George Aston was used. Uh, under Matt Canada Pitt, uh, George Aston was used in that type of offense for Pitt as well. Uh, in the blocking, a pass catching offense. I mean, I could see it being used as that, and if he's used as that, I like it. But again, I don't know if we need two fullbacks on the roster. Let's go to round seven, Alex. <laughs> round seven. You tell me who they pick in round seven. I, I Mark Robinson was the first pick in round seven, a linebacker out of Mississippi. He won't have an impact in his first year, other than special teams. He was a running back for part of his time in college, so he's definitely still developing as a linebacker. But that, but that means he's got a high ceiling. And so I think the Steelers will be able to develop him to make a pretty good NFL player. It just won't be in his first year or so. You got Brian Flores, and you brought him in for a reason. You brought him in to, be a, to develop players and to bring your defense to the next level. And I think they had to get a linebacker over the course of the draft. As I said, I think I said in the podcast we had previously, uh, they had to have a linebacker in this draft, and there's your guy. And um, that's a guy that's prime for the ripening, as you just said, prime for the developing that Brian Flores has been known to bring to his defensive prospects. And I think that if he's able to uh, squeeze any juice that he can out of the man, I think he will. This final pick of the draft was quarterback Chris Aladokun, a quarterback uh what was he, FCS quarterback? FCS quarterback, North Dakota. South Dakota? Or is, is it North Dakota or South Dakota State? It was one of the two, but I was a little confused. Uh, Carson Strong, I believe, was available at the time. So if you're going to take quarterback, I would take him. Uh, he's a good quarterback for being at the FCS level. Uh, but I thought there might have been other needs. This pick kind of confused me again. I thought maybe he should get, try to draft an old lineman or maybe another defensive player or a cornerback. But – uh. I mean, it adds more depth to the quarterback. I mean, now four quarterbacks, uh, Chris Oladukin, Kenny Pickett, Mitchell Trubisky, Mason Rudolph. I just, I don't know. What, what do you make of it? I, I don't get it. I don't get it either. Um, he's he's 24 years old. He's going to be 25 by the time the season starts. Um, he, he, played, he played in FCS. He was good in the FCS in the Missouri, in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, which he was in. He um in 2021, he was 20, 238 or 382, and he had three over 3,000 passing yards, 25 touchdowns. But what is that? I don't know what that translates to in terms of NFL kind of potential, and it's an FCS school. But what are you going to use him for? What are you going to use him? Why do you need another quarterback? There are 10 quarterbacks selected in the draft. Steelers had two of them. What, what's the point? I don't get that. Um, I don't get that selection at all. But I, I, they have to have a plan for him, right? But why would you throw away a pick like that if you don't? Yeah, I agree, but that wraps up the draft. We'll see what the Steelers do next. But one undrafted free agent I want to mention is Mateo Durant. The Steelers signed him, gave him one of gave him actually the largest contract in team history for an undrafted free agent in Mateo Durant, the Duke running back. And I actually love this. I remember when we were preparing for the Pitt Duke game, we're doing the podcast for that. Mateo Durant was their entire team. He was considered one of the best running backs in college football. I don't know what really happened with him after that game, but he's a powerful runner. He's a big guy. He can get downhill and run people over. And I think he 
has a very, very good shot of making the team, especially considering we gave him that huge contract, or not a huge contract, but a big contract for an undrafted free agent. Yeah. And I I like this a lot, and I think he'll, he, he'll make the team. And I, I think he could be a good backup or a third stringer to compliment Najee Harris. I think absolutely that's the case. And um, I think the Steelers made some good good decisions um, over the course of the draft, obviously some questionable ones. But I think that them not taking a running back in the draft was something that was important to the team, um, important to Najee Harris as well. And I think that's something that they have to balance because I think they need some help behind him. Uh, they need some help. They need another good backup running back. And I think if he can be that guy, step into a role, get a couple of nice plays when they need it, he can be that. I I wouldn't say a, like I, I compared to like a Rodney Hammond back for Pitt last year, Ryan. Um, when you have guys that are able to step in every so often, maybe take um, five carries, five to ten carries a game, and get used to that nice little um, yards after contact. Maybe he can be that guy. And uh, Steelers need that type of guy behind Najee Harris. Because he, he's good, you can't run the wheels off of him. I agree. Uh, I do like that. I do think we might need to sign a veteran running back to come in. Yeah, maybe. Uh, now let's go over the Steelers' schedule, Alex, for next year. The Dolphins schedule the opponents for next year. Yep. So at home, they're not, they have a lot of teams that we're familiar with, um, but they're they're playing the Buccaneers division next year. That Buccaneers, Saints, Panthers, and. Um, Falcons division next year and the two toughest teams out of that division are coming to play at Heinz Field those being the Buccaneers and the Saints the Jets the Patriots and the Raiders are the other non-divisional teams that are coming to Heinz Field next year so it's going to be some good games and I'm sure that Patriots game is going to be a prime time one yeah I I, I don't know I think it's going to be a difficult schedule but we'll definitely uh, have a more of a feel of what it's going to be once the actual uh, schedule and dates come out to see how it lines up for the year, like where our bye week is and how we can the Steelers. We think the Steelers can strategize of how they're going to play these games, but definitely it's going to be another difficult year. I mean, the Steelers had a difficult schedule last year, and they still made the playoffs. So I expect the Steelers to make the playoffs this year, but we have a long way to go uh, with that. So I think you want to go over the pit players, or you continue, you go. I just right. want to say one thing. I think the Bengals. If this is what the Steelers' schedule looks like. Uh, I haven't looked and see if the Bengals play this year, but the Bengals are going to have to have a tough schedule since they won the division. They're going to have a really tough schedule um, this year, and I think that's going to be something that the Steelers can use um, to really maybe sneak into the playoffs in some respects because this is not a team – I don't think the Steelers are going to win the division, but I think this is a team that can sneak into the playoffs. Is that something – I mean, I think that's the best they can do in their first year without Ben Roethlisberger, but we'll see how it goes. And we'll, as, as obviously, we'll do our win projections, and that is close we get to the season because it's so far out right now. So far out. Let's, Alex, let's look at the yeah the pit players that were signed and drafted. Of course, you know Kenny Pickett, first round, twentieth pick. But then Demari Mathis was the other pit player drafted, fourth round of the Broncos. And I actually thought he may fall to the Steelers, and I would love the Steelers to take him because pit cornerbacks do great in the NFL because they're challenged so much at pit because they're put on islands because of the dominant pass rush. And so I think he'll be great for the Broncos. Uh, as we see in Avante Maddox, move on to be great in the NFL. Dave Jackson's getting time in the NFL. Uh, DeMar Hamlin's getting time in the NFL. All these secondary guys that had to that were really challenge that pit. Jordan Whitehead, they're really challenged that pit. Have are having good NFL careers, and I think the more Mathis is going to be another one of those. Cal Adamitis went to the Bengals, 
I like this for the Bengals. I mean, he was the best long snapper in college football. He was the only long snapper at the Combine, so I like that one for the Bengals as well. I'll root for him anytime he's not playing the Steelers. Me too. He's, he's, that's the type of character guy that you have to love as a Bengals fan. Um, just think all the charity stuff he's done. All the charity stuff he's done has just been absolutely extraordinary. Um, kindness hair, that all those initiatives. And uh, he's really done a big service for Pitt over his time at Pitt. And it's definitely exciting to see what he's going to be doing coming up here with the Bengals. And um, with, with the with just, talk, just talking about Pitt, um, some of these other guys that are getting in to these NFL rosters, like a Trey Tipton, like is he's going to be with the Steelers on the practice squad. And you've got guys like Lucas Kroll going to the Saints, um, Taysier Mack going to the 49ers. It all wraps up into a nice bow, doesn't it? Yeah, Lucas Kroll is an undrafted free agent to the Saints. Taysier Mack, undrafted free agent signing to the, to the uh, 49ers. Trey Tipton invited the Steelers rookie camp. Keyshawn Camp was invited to the Steelers rookie camp. And John Patricia, I didn't. I see the specifics. I couldn't find the specifics. But he's either an undrafted free agent or a rookie camp invite to the Tennessee Titans. So a lot of pick guys getting their chance. Uh, let's see how it shakes out. And I think some of them might be able to make an NFL roster. We'll see, Alex. We'll, we'll certainly see. Um, do you want to talk about the Pirates or is it not worth the time? I think we're up around what, 37 minutes already. I think we're, we've covered enough in this Who podcast. Who cares? Who cares about them? Hey, another thing I want to add in. If you're going to listen to this before the Kentucky Derby tonight, pick Mo Donegal to win. Wow. Alex has got his Kentucky Derby prediction. So Steel City Sports Talk plus Kentucky Derby predictions from Alex Brown. Horse handicapper. Yes. But that wraps it up for our podcast. Episode 58, Alex. I can't wait to keep doing these. Oh, we got maybe a big announcement coming uh, over the next couple weeks, so stay tuned for that. Uh, yeah. We're excited to keep going, keep recording content for you guys. We thank you for listening. Remember, we are your home for everything Pittsburgh sports.